Hello and welcome to another The Analysis interview with Total Football Analysis. My name is David Seymour and I'm delighted to be joined by Ryan Davies, who is an under-18s coach at Swansea City. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Excellent. Um, so, Ryan, it'd be great to have a little bit of background uh, as to who you are and sort of how you got to where you are today. Okay, so uh, as a young kid, just absolutely love football, playing all the time. I got into the Centre of Excellence with Swansea when I was really young, when I was about 9 or 10, got released. And then as I started to grow older, I realised I wasn't going to become a professional footballer. So started to look at avenues into how to get into football and get a career in football. So I started looking at sports science, really. So I went to university, uh, completed my degree in sports science, sport and exercise science. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I'd finished at university, I did an internship with Swansea City in their academy as a sports scientist and worked with ages from the under-21s at the time to the under-9s, so all the way through the academy, and it was a really good experience for me. Um, did that for a couple of years, and then I think Swansea had a change of philosophy around the physical uh, development of players. They wanted to go down a more strength and conditioning route, so that meant I wasn't uh, going to be kept on as a sports scientist anymore, and I ended up getting into the coaching, uh, started off um, part-time assisting the under-16s and ended up getting in full-time then to just become like a youth development phase coach. The following season, then I led the under-14s. After two years of doing that, I became the lead youth development phase coach at Swansea. And then recently this season, I've been put with the under-18s. So that has been my journey. But whilst I was at university, I did do a work experience placement with Colchester United and did a bit of analysis for them. So just simple coding of individuals and um, putting the games onto DVDs so the coaches could have and stuff like that. At what, at what point um, in your journey did you decide, do you know what, I need to go through my coaching licenses, get my UEFA B and then further on UEFA A. Was that before you went into Swansea or was that during your time there? I started doing my coaching. So we in, I went through the FAW pathway and they start off with a Football Leaders Award. Uh, I started doing that when I was 16. Uh, I did my C license when I was 18, and then I did my B license when I was studying at uni. I always thought that if I was going to go into sports science, I'd like to have an understanding of coaching and understanding how to speak to players and understanding the practices that get put on and maybe the topics that they work towards, because then I could sort of apply the knowledge I gained through my sports science degree into those sort of sessions. That's why I really looked into completing coaching on the side. And I used to think that oh, I could one day become a manager, but as I grew older, I thought the way things are, most top managers or most managers tend to be ex-pros or been involved in the game. And I thought that probably won't be a pathway that I'll have. So I, that's why I went into the sports science, but still wanted to keep a sort of eye in it with the coaching. And is that is that something that you're more open to now is that something that you you think you'd like to explore as you as you progress is a manager's role something that you could see in your future I'm not really sure at the moment I've I've become really really interested in player development and individual development over probably the last year like where I used to when I was coaching it used to be about the team tactics and looking at all that sort of thing trying to be like a mini first team manager with young players I've come away from that now and I'm just thinking to be a successful academy, we've got to get players through the door. And yes, the the team environment will help individuals prosper. 
but we got to put sort of plans in place for our best individuals to get them to the, where we think we can get them to and hopefully a first team debut at Swansea. Do you, do you think that's something that a lot more youth coaches need to put the forefront of their mind to to remember that they're not, you know, a Julian Nagelsmann, that actually they're there to help progress players as as children into just, I mean, adults in general, but also be ready to take the next step should they wish to go into a higher level of football? Yeah, I think that's one of the things with football is that the way it, I've seen it working in where I've been is that the sort of the higher up the ladder you get, the older the age groups, the more sort of respect you get, maybe monetary incentives as well. So that makes people want to progress to go higher. And maybe they see then I have to have these sort of traits and behaviors to get to that level where there's nothing wrong with being like the best developer of young children. I think that might be something that needs to be looked at maybe throughout academies is how is how do you reward your foundation phase coach who could be the best foundation phase coach in the country and keep him satisfied to stay there to develop those young players rather than I want to keep moving up the ladder to be a first team manager when they might not actually be suited to that. That's really interesting. The, what's what's your like inspiration? What is your um, who do you look to to give you ideas to um, interact with young players to help them sort of uh, develop? I've, I, re- I went to a coaches conference and I saw Pep Linders putting a session mm-hmm. on, and his enthusiasm and his passion for just making individuals better just shone through, and ever since then that's someone I've always sort of kept an eye on. How does he, what does he do? What was he looking at to develop individuals? It's something that's really brought a passion out for that individual development was just seeing how he was so involved in that ball mastery type, that 1v1 dominance um, training. And Mm -hmm. obviously he's progressed now as at Liverpool, but when he was at Porto and you see the things that he did and the, the technical ability of those players, it's something that really amazed me. What was that? His was his passion visible through his his uh, the way he was talking, or through his body language, or just through the whole session in general? If you ever get the chance to see him coach, I'd recommend seeing it because he's got so much energy. You can just see he's, he, when a kid does something that he likes, he just goes crazy. He absolutely loves it, and that's I think that brings joy to the player. They want to replicate that all the time, then to get that sort of response. Mm-hmm. So his coaching style was so infectious that it brought out the player's energy as well, which I really, really liked. That's fantastic. Okay, so let's let's move on to the analysis side. What was your first introduction to analysis? So my first introduction was at Colchester United. I did a year's work experience there while I was studying. Um, it wasn't anything major. It was filming like under-13s, under-14s games that were taking part, taking place at the university. And going away, um, clipping the game up for what the coaches wanted. So it might have been like playing out from the back. It might have been an individual they wanted to get coded on sports code and then burning the DVD so that the coach could have the DVD to go and watch because it was before replay analysis and Huddle had come out. So that was my first taste of analysis. And, and how much has it changed and developed since your first experience? It's come on massively. I think it's become quite an important part of academy football it's used as a massive learning tool whether you're teaching a player techniques you've got the you're an analyst there filming and you can break down the techniques for the players in sessions or one-to-one reviews you've got the 
opposition analysis you can do. You can put, we've got um, software now, so it's like match of the day. So you're highlighting certain individuals on the pitch to show maybe you could have done this differently or look, this is where space can be exploited in this game. And it's just a massive like visual learning tool for the players. And I think that's only going to benefit them in the future. How much, how much do you use uh, analysis to improve yourself as well as improve the players? We do get mic'd up and filmed quite a lot. And then we take those sessions and watch them back and see maybe was the information, information I've given good? Was it, was my tone of voice right? Did I stop it at the right moment? When I'm speaking, are the players listening to me? So you can, we use it quite a lot. Um, we get mentored. So our head of coaching will look at what we've done in a session, the intervention length. So are we taking too long to speak to the players? Is the ball rolling time what we want? So we are using it quite a lot to improve the coaches as well. Mm. What, what, what is the uh, coaching philosophy at Swansea? I think our little strap line is uh, Swansea City coaches using the right intervention at the right time in the right setting. Something that I, I hear a lot of coaches talk about, particularly at the sort of development grassroots stage, is how often they should jump in and intervene and whether they should be sitting back and allowing players to, to develop and problem-solve themselves. So, I mean, I, I feel like I, I, I know what the answer will be here, but I'd just be interested to, to hear your thoughts on that. I think we give them as much chance as we can to let them experiment and solve problems for themselves because we do want those players who are independent thinkers or they think for themselves they can solve problems. We want those sort of players because that's probably what the game is dictating of them now. But there's probably a point in the session where if it's continuously the same sort of things that are being done and there's not really a change in the thought process, that's when we'll step in and maybe we won't tell them, for example, we might say, what could you do differently? We'll pose them questions or we might ask an opponent, what would give you a problem here to see then they're sort of giving the attacker maybe an an answer that they might not have thought of and then they can go and experiment with it. So that's how we tend to do it the coaching side right so i get the feeling that just from talking to you that video analysis is, is is used throughout what about data analysis do you use it at all in the academy and if so what are your views on it how useful is it to you we haven't used it a lot if i'm honest um we did have a project going on we had an analyst called sam minchus at arsenal now and he was doing a big project on player tracking so it was looking at certain metrics. Um, that were aligned to our style of play and sort of looking where the play, what the players were doing, how sort of competent they were at them, the frequency they were doing them at, just and then tracking them as they progressed. But we sort of strayed away from that. But I do think sort of data is really important. Mm-hmm. It gives you a little bit of um, an objective look on things, which can then lead you towards what you need to coach. So there might be a player who's getting beaten, I don't know, in 1v1s quite easily. So you've got the data there that says, look, he's not winning his 1v1 deals. Coaches can go back and then have a subjective take on it. So it might be oh, his footwork isn't great or he's not getting tight enough. His approach to the ball isn't good enough. So that objective data can give us some sort of evidence to prove that, right, we need to work on this area of his game if he's going to go and take that step to the next level. And also looking at what does maybe an under-14 do as a centre-back compared to an under-16 and how can we bridge that gap so when he gets to 16s, he's ready for that level or an 18 to 23s or 23s to first team. I think 
looking at that in individual development will be quite interesting to do to keep bridging the gap so you're getting players along the right sort of pathway to making a first team debut or making it in the professional game what what advice do you have for someone who wants to get into academy coaching i think you've got to just when you're starting out don't be afraid to make mistakes and don't be afraid to ask questions keep doing that along your journey so if you're a grassroots coach don't be afraid to go and ask someone at your club who you think has a lot of experience or is really good go and pick their brain because i think all coaches they do steal a bit from everyone so go and pick people's brains take little bits off people and then sometimes maybe it's a little bit of voluntary work to get your foot in the door as well that has to be done and once you're in the door just keep learning as much as you can because that's the only way you're going to develop yourself and develop the players if you can be the best coach you can be you'll develop as the players the best you can when when, speak, when I speak to sort of other more experienced coaches they often talk of having maybe a basic outline of perhaps five to eight sessions and everything that they coach is at least based around those sessions is that something that you use or do you use plenty of different exercises I do use quite a lot of different exercises but I've got my go-to ones where I like the format and the shape of it and then I'll make slight alterations on depending on what I want the outcome to be so I do have certain practices and setups that I do like but I do try and do different things I like to use maybe a different shape to what the players normally are used to so instead of everything being in rectangles or squares and diamonds using a hexagon every now and again or a pitch that starts wider at one end and narrows at the other because I think it will give them different problems to solve. Okay. And and would that be based on what you're trying to coach that day or is that just something where you go, do you know what, today I'm going to chuck in a hexagon? We've got um, a curriculum that we follow. So, for example, one of the things in there might be looking at combination play and we can do a practice there with like a hexagon with, play, with bounce plays on the outside that can really encourage combination play or it might be we're looking at different types of assists or creating goals so one end might be wider so you might be looking at more crossing cutbacks the other end's narrower looking for slide balls through to strikers running onto it and finishing on one-on-one type so I think because of the curriculum we've got it will dictate a little bit to what we do Mm And then we can play around with it a little bit in our heads. Like how can we change area sizes, area shapes, conditions on the game to get out what we want. And, and you, sorry, you said earlier, you know, you plan sort of, um, you, you'll try different things. When, when you're planning a new session, would you be looking somewhere online or is it literally you would, you would sit down and you would think, right, this is what, this is the end goal I want to achieve and this is how I'm going to do it. I try to, I try to work backwards. So if I finish in from crossing, I'll try and think of what that looks like, what the build-up might look like and how the session can create that. There might be the odd occasion where I'm popping onto YouTube or a website just to have a look to see what ideas are out there and then I might sort of tinker with them a little bit to get out what I want and maybe our way of coaching and our style Mm -hmm. of play. But I tend to look at what I want and then work backwards from that to plan my sessions. Now, I'm not asking for necessary specifics, but how would you structure a general session? What would that look like? What would a Ryan Davies session look like? I think the start would be, I'd like to have everything opposed so there's decision-making. So I'd start with small numbers, so like 1v1s, 2v2s, 3v3s, and that can be different types. So it could be like a 2v2 possession, it could be 2v2 attack v defense sort of little game, it could be a wave game, uh, it could be a finishing practice with a 2v2 in it. 
the site and working in smaller numbers and then trying to sort of increase the numbers as you go along and maybe increase the area size. So I think that uh, the 1v1 battle now, and if you've got players you can defend 1v1 well or attack and beat players 1v1, those are the players that are making the biggest difference in professional football. And then, and then when you've finished that, so you, you grow it into a, a bigger session and do you run that to the end? How much time do you give for um, for free time, for a time where they don't have you talking to them? Um, at the start, they can do their own little thing. That's what we tend to do with our 18s is when they're out, they got sort of 10 minutes to do their own thing. So you'll see groups doing sort of their keep up. Some will be passing the ball, some will be doing ball striking. They got 10 minutes to do their own thing. I think that is an important time as well because sometimes maybe we are a little bit too structured with what we do so the players can it can become quite monotonous so giving them that little bit of free time or space to work on their own thing is important how how do you plan a sequence of sessions i mean you mentioned that you have a curriculum and i wonder how sort of rigid that is do you get time to be reactive from games or do you, are you sort of entirely proactive and then how many sessions would you plan for a specific topic over an amount of time? So uh, we will do a topic. So we've got an attacking topic, a defending topic, and a transition topic. We'll do the same one sort of uh, two weeks in a row, but it will be a slightly different look on that topic. In regards to working on a game we've just played, we tend to do that sort of stuff in our individual sessions. So if we do like a session with, we'll take the players out some afternoons, normally on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and we'll go through individual stuff that they might need to work on that we've highlighted in the game. So a striker might be working on his hold-up play if we were trying to bounce into him and he was just losing it. We'd we'd work on that. We'd work on the midfielders then seeing those forward passes. So we try and we come away from the curriculum a little bit in those individual sessions and go on what that individual needs what they didn't do so well or what they did well and how we can build on that into the next game. How much How much is the focus of your job and just, I mean, even the focus of your sessions change in itself when a new manager comes in? Our academy has always sort of tried to stick to the same value. So nothing's really changed much. So we've had different managers. So when I was first there, Michael Loudrup was in charge and now it's obviously Steve Cooper. But the philosophy of the academy hasn't really changed. It's stayed the same throughout. We've always tried to play the same way, so building out through the back, playing possession-based game, trying to win the ball back as high as we can. We've always tried to do that, and we haven't really had any pressure on us to mm. come away from doing that, which has been quite nice. So our players have had real continuity coming through of what we expect of them and what they're going to learn and what they're going to be exposed to week in, week out. One thing that I was keen to ask you from an analysis perspective is what does analysis look like pre-match? Particularly, obviously, I imagine at an under-18s level, it's taken a little bit more, I wouldn't say seriously, but it's certainly given more em- emphasis than at a, at a younger level. Yeah, I think we've, we, do, we definitely do pre-match stuff. We'll do a bit of opposition analysis where we look at who we got on the weekend, what sort of problems might they pose us, what can we exploit, um, what spaces will they leave us to exploit. We've been doing a lot of group tasks lately where we'll get clips of the opponents and maybe have five different groups, five problems that they might pose us. 
and in those groups come up with a solution to that problem. So we've had the tactics board out where we've put, like we've played against a diamond. Where are they going to hurt us when they white strikers are running into channels and when our fullbacks have to press higher the spaces they leave? What are we going to do to counteract that? So we t- we tend to put it back on the players and the players coming up with a sort of a strategy and a little bit of a game plan onto what they're going to do in that next game. It gives them a little bit more ownership and I think it gets them more engaged in their learning on especially mm-hmm. the tactical side of thing, things. So that's what we tend to do. Uh, before the game, we'll have a pre-match meeting just highlighting maybe some of the stuff we've done well against this. If we're playing like a diamond, for example, what we've done well against it previously, the little key reminders of going into the game, what they've spoken about of what they needed to do to get success. We'll go through a set-piece organisation as well in there. And that tends to be our pre-match meeting. Try and keep it as sort of short and concise as possible because we don't want to be in there for ages before the game. What about what about post-match? Um, how much analysis work would you use with yourself and with the players after a game? Um, we will sit with every player who played individually and we'll have an individual meeting with them. So their clips will be coded and we'll get the clips, we'll look through them, pick out the ones we think are necessary for the player to see. And we'll just go through what they think they could do better what they've done really well. Um, so like midfielders, we'll talk to them about stuff they do before they receive the ball, maybe. So we might have a number four who's played from what we perceive as a lot of safe passes. So we'll talk about his body position then maybe before receiving little movements he has to make to create a better angle to play forward rather than just being static. We'll do that with the players. Um, we also have a team meeting. So based on what we've worked on in the week, which tends to be the curriculum, We'll go over what we've done well, where we haven't gone so well, and how we can improve in the future. Or if we've done something well, how can we make that even better so it becomes a real uh, weapon in our in our arsenal when we play teams in the future. What what tools do you like to use to enhance analysis? We've got uh, Piero at the moment, which is really it's, we're finding it really useful for the players. Just being able to sort of annotate onto the video just helps focus their attention on to what we're looking at. So when we use Piero, it just highlights areas that players might not have seen. So uh, number 10 is running through and he's got a chance to slide a winger on the opposite side of the pitch. It just gives us a chance like to highlight that so we can see it now in third person, which is quite good. Helps with um, sort of taking on information. One thing that I'm seeing a lot of teams begin to use more often is tools to enhance the visual perception of players. Um, I've seen some academies using um, virtual reality headsets um, and things like that. Is that anything that Swansea use or, is, or is, is that not really of interest to you guys? No, we don't really use that, any sort of virtual reality stuff. We tend to focus on sort of games, post-game reviews, and lower down all the players have access to huddle so they get to create playlists and they share that with the coaches and you have dialogue with the coaches like oh, I think I've done this really well because they've all got their individual development plans so they'll go through their games highlight stuff on their game so for example a striker's got a finish in I've, I've scored this goal really well my movement before was really good composure on the finish was excellent then he'll maybe pick a clip that he didn't do so well on and highlight an area where he oh, technically I didn't strike the ball well I didn't know where the keeper was, so I didn't put it in the right area and stuff like that. We tend to use more footage than that virtual reality type. So uh, one thing I wanted to jump on from earlier is 
where you mentioned sort of your passion for player development um, and linked to that last answer, how much would you leave that to the player um, to decide areas that they need to work on? How, or do you help frame sort of the answer that you're hoping that they'll, they'll find? So with our individual development plans, the player will choose what is on there, but it's sort of guided by the coach. We'll give them an idea of what they'll need to be getting towards, but they'll have the final say. But we obviously don't want like a centre-back, his individual development plan working on like one-on-one finishing because that's not something that's going to probably relate to his game. So we, we give them a few ideas, then they will pick from those ideas and then we'll also give them a point ourselves of what we feel they'll need to work on. All the training and stuff then we'll do, so the individual sessions will be based around on the things on their individual development plan. The analysis and the post-match reviews Six-week reviews, we'll do video mm-hmm. reviews and six-week reviews, and we'll talk to them about clips we've seen, how they've developed as that time's gone on. What What do you think, and this could be you know, a, a Swansea answer, or it could be a, a Ryan Davies answer, what do you think are the most important qualities to nurture in young players? I think one of the main things is having the right attitude, the right mindset. I think that is... The players that I've seen come through Swansea have had that in abundance. They've got that willingness to learn. They wanna, they've got that drive to succeed and better themselves. So that's one of the main things. But the technical ability now with the way the game's going, being able to handle a football and outplay opponents is, is absolutely massive. So if your player has that sort of individual capacity to look after the ball, pass the ball well, to strike it well, it stands him in a really good stead. And then I think the... Sort of final piece in the jigsaw for me would be the physical. The game's getting quicker. Players are becoming they're quicker to recover, so they can uh, complete more explosive actions. So it's those real three things: really, attitude, technical ability, and the physical capacity to do the role that's mm. required of them. I think those are the three main things for me. What, what do you find are the biggest frustrations you have within your role, or perhaps even limitations? I think we do sometimes get frustrated with players who you can see have got so much ability and they just don't want to put the work in. And you can speak to them and say, look, carry on like this. You're not going to have a career in the game. You might end up working on a building site. You could work in Tesco or a supermarket stacking shelves. But it just doesn't seem to get into them until it's too late. And I think that is probably the biggest frustration is that people who don't fulfill their potential. And I guess that could be then as a coach reflecting, how did I interact with him and did yeah. I get the best out of him? And then that can hopefully develop me as a coach then. How can I inspire sort of teenagers who sometimes don't really see what a big opportunity they've got? How can I inspire them to get the best out and of themselves? And do you have an answer for that yet? But you're, no, work, not but you're yet. working on it. I think it's something that will take years of experience. Is, is there anything yeah, that... I am. Is there anything Swansea do as a club to try and combat that? I think we've... I don't think we've got anything set in stone, but we try and work with the players as much as we can. When we can see a player isn't living up to what we probably think they could do, I think as a collective, we do quite well at speaking about the player. We have multidisciplinary meetings, so we'll talk about players. What's his attitude like in the gym? Uh, it mirrors exactly what we're saying on the pitch. So maybe if we can get a little bit of a change in his mindset in the gym, that might reflect on the pitch, or it might be in education. What's he doing at his education, is he sort of messing about there and he's taking that attitude 
into when we're doing analysis sessions? How can we sort of get them to concentrate? And I think that multidisciplinary approach and the holistic approach that we're trying to achieve will hopefully stop players slipping through the net. We've got different voices coming at them rather than just the coach, which I think can sometimes really, really benefit a player. Some players build up really good relationships with the S&C coach, the sports scientist, the physio. And if it's them just having a quiet word, sometimes that has a bigger impact. Or even the player saying, look, you've got to work harder, otherwise you're not going to succeed. So using maybe older players to speak to the younger ones, I think is something we can maybe do a little bit more of. I've got a couple of questions on the sort of, I guess, uglier sides of academy football. And the first thing I'd like to talk about is the recruitment stage. I was speaking to um, the Wolves Academy manager, yeah. Scott Sellers, yesterday, and he personally felt that if it was up to him, he'd love to have players brought in when they get brought in at nine, they can't be released until 12. Is that something that you agree with? How do you, And also, on top of that, how do you see the academy recruitment process as a whole? I do like the idea of keeping the players on for a certain amount of time because it gives them a chance to develop. And I guess then they're not so, they don't feel so under pressure to perform week in, week out if, if they got a chance of being released every six months, which can be quite tough for a kid. So I, that is probably a good idea to have where you keep them on for a certain amount of time and it's agreed, look, you've got this amount of time. With the recruitment side of things, we've recently appointed a new head of recruitment. And he's working really hard to change some of the processes we had in place. Like we've got development centers and an advanced development center where we get sort of players in first to sort of screen them to see where they're at before they come into our academy. And then when they come in, they have their trial and we have a mid-trial report with them and say how this going and what they can improve to hopefully get accepted into the academy. But the recruitment side is a, it is a big one because I do wonder sometimes is, a nine-year-old coming in a bit too young. They're still very, very young. When you look at like rugby, for example, they're not starting their academies till sort of 16 years of age, really. And they're still producing world-class talent. So I don't know if that's, I don't think see football going down that route because they've obviously spent a lot of money on the academy system. But sometimes I do wonder if an under nine or when you've got pre-academy under fives, under sixes, mm. is it a little bit too young? I, I, this morning, and the, the other question this morning, I read an article in The Athletic by Daniel Taylor on a Manchester United youth player called Charlie Scott who was released at the, the latest age possible. He um, was in the same youth team as Marcus Rashford and he didn't make it. And it was really about his how he struggled to deal with with that decision and his life since then. And it's, it's a really tough read and I recommend it to anyone listening or to, or to yourself, Ryan. But what do Swansea do to try and help players deal with perhaps life after the academy if they aren't going to make it at Swansea? Uh, the first thing we do is obviously try and find them another club. So I think most clubs will do it, put a highlight reel together of this player, get on the phone to sort of contacts we got out of the club, say, look, this, this kid's worth a look at, take him in on trial, see what you think of him. We do put a lot of the kid, the scholars who don't get professional contracts in touch with sort of the American college sort of coaches who come over and speak to us. We, we do get those in to talk about how they could go over to America and start playing in a college system and maybe become a professional out there. We've got a lot of sort of life skills lessons that we do, which prepares the boys maybe for outside world. And we've got a full-time psychologist at the club who the boys are free to go and speak to. So if they're going to, they might feel they're being released or 
somewhere along those lines, they can start helping them with coping strategies and maybe making other plans. So it's not just football is the sole focus. And obviously the, the college program that we got. So they got, we got a really good education program for the boys. We got boys who are under 18s doing A levels. They got their B tech, but we try, tend to try and give them all a good education. So if they don't make it in football, there's an avenue to go into another job because they've got qualifications mm-hmm. or they can go to university after. So we do try and really help them in that way. Um, okay. Last, last question for you. Obviously this is a, uh, an analysis um, website, total football analysis. So the last question I'd like to ask is where do you see analysis going in the future within academy football? I think it's going to become an integral part, whether that's looking at skill development, how you're breaking down techniques for players. You can break down the technique of a shot, of a pass, of quite a lot of things with like slow-mo cameras that now. So you can talk about foot placement and the S&C coaches can speak about all different things then sort of biomechanically, which can help them with their skills and techniques. I think it's going to come into the team stuff, especially higher end, more and more, just to give them sort of a taste of it. If they do step into first team football, they've got that background of understanding that we will sit in like a, like almost an auditorium and watch footage of football. And what can I take from that? So I think it's it's just going to get bigger and bigger. I think sports science has grown. I think performance analysis now will start coming in even more and the sort of software that is becoming more accessible to coaches. So now coaches you see are on the laptops a lot more, putting stuff together for players, whether it's a little sort of a short video of them doing things really well if they need a confidence boost or you the coaches are putting together video reviews for the players to sit down and say, look, this is where we've got to see improvements. You've done this really well the last six weeks. Carry on with that. These are the things that video footage, once the player sees it and you can explain it to them, mm. they can't really argue with it. So it tends to... It tends to take away those sort of grey areas. It makes things a little bit more black and white. And then hopefully with the use of more data and data analysis, we can start tracking players. Are they developing at the rate we think they should be? If they're not, why not? And then we can ask questions of ourselves. So I think I just think analysis is going to become really, really important in uh, football academies. Thank you so much for your time uh, this morning, Ryan. I really appreciate having you on. It's been absolutely brilliant to listen to you and there's been some really wonderful insights um so thanks for coming on for sorry yeah no no problem whatsoever thank you very much for having um, me thank you to everyone for listening obviously um this this uh podcast comes from total football analysis and that's totalfootballanalysis.com um there's a monthly magazine as well and i believe our uh, april edition just came out last week so by all means check that out you can follow us on twitter at total analysis Ryan, do you have a Twitter or do you have anything you'd like to promote? Uh, no, I'm just on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to connect on LinkedIn, I'm happy to Brilliant. speak to there people on there if they want to. Love that. Thank so you, Ryan. Okay. Thank you for listening. Cheers.